We're going to read a passage from the Bible. We have this privilege of having the Bible in our own language, and most of us probably have a copy at home, if not many copies. And uh, I think sometimes I forget what a privilege it is just to have it and be able to read um, God's words and to read the words of Jesus. So we're going to read a passage from Matthew uh, chapter 10, and then we'll just spend some time thinking about that, the word that Jesus shares with his disciples. So if you want to follow it, it's there on the screen. It's Matthew chapter 10, verse 16, and we'll read down to uh, verse 33. Jesus speaking to the disciples says, I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Be on your guard. You will be handed over to local councils and be flogged in the synagogues. On my account you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it, at that time you will be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. You will be hated by everyone because of me. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And when you are persecuted in one place, flee to another. Truly, I tell you, you will not finish going through the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. The student is not above the teacher, nor the servant above his master. It is enough for students to be like their teacher and servants like their masters. If the head of the house has been called Beelzebul, how much more the members of his household So do not be afraid of them, for there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed, or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the hairs of your head are all numbered. So do not be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will acknowledge before my father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others... I will disown before my Father in heaven. Let's just pray. Father, we love to read our favorite verses from the scriptures. And then there are other parts that we kind of want to skip over and find a little bit more difficult. But we thank you that you speak to us through every part of your scripture. 
and help us tonight to understand what you would have us hear and comprehend tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. I pray every day for the persecuted church. I get emails from Open Doors. If you're not linked up with Open Doors and you'd like to receive emails, see Karis afterwards. She works for Open Doors. And uh, she'd love to link you up. Or ring her at work, even better. And uh, as I was reading this passage through, because I kind of read, if I'm focusing on a passage for a, a message, I want to read it through again and again and again, and I read it through different kind of uh, perspectives. And I, I listened to it this week as if I was someone from the persecuted church, and it meant so much more. Especially chap, uh, verse 28, do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. And, uh, and it was that thing that just got me thinking about uh, the theme of hell. I don't often preach about hell for probably good reasons. But I uh, just felt it was um, something I, I should do. Three times in this short passage that we read together, Jesus tells his disciples not to be afraid. The context of what Jesus is speaking about is persecution. He is warning his disciples that if they follow him, persecution will come. It's normal. It's the normal Christian life. And we probably are not normal because we are living in a place and an age where we are not persecuted as many of our brothers and sisters are around the world. We are truly blessed. But we are not to be blinkered to think that that's the normal Christian life, because that's not. We are truly blessed. And Jesus says, do not be afraid of them. Do not be afraid. He says that there's nothing hidden that will not be made known. And what he means by that is that in the end... Truth will triumph. There are so many lies that are being told that the enemy sows in people's lives and in communities and even nations. But in the end, truth will triumph. One day, all things will be seen for what they really are. Do not be afraid. And it's really hard because I don't know if you're a fearful person or not a fearful person. But there are times when I've been afraid. And it's very easy to say, well, don't be afraid, just you know, trust in the Lord. If we were threatened, that if we were to turn up tonight, we could be arrested and beaten and tortured, or our families arrested, beaten and tortured, it would probably put a little bit of fear in most of us. Jesus says, don't be afraid. Jesus says there's a right fear and a wrong fear. There's a good fear and a bad fear. There's a healthy fear and an unhealthy fear. And it comes down to these two things. To not fear man, but to fear God. And it's one of the passages where Jesus actually talks about hell as a reality. 
In fact, Jesus talks quite a lot about hell. He just did. It's never been a popular subject, or it's trivialized. The word's used many times just to convey a bad situation. Oh, it was a hell of a holiday. Because they lost our bags. Or it rained. And it was supposed to be sunny. In this passage, he uses the word, and the word that Jesus uses is Gehenna, which is why I put it in the notice sheet. Because I thought if I put hell, it would be just me and Edward here tonight. <laughs> and Zach and Susie, of course. And this word that Jesus uses appears 12 times in the New Testament. And it's translated in our English Bibles, hell. From the Anglo-Saxon word, hell or whole. Which is a translation of the words that are used in the scriptures. Sheol, Hades, Gehenna. Now Gehenna was simply the Greek way of writing Gehimon. Which was the Hebrew name for the valley of Hinnom. Now the valley of Hinnom is a deep, narrow gorge that runs along the southwestern side of Jerusalem. And once it had been quite a beautiful place before certain kings of Judah corrupted it. One of the kings of Judah that you can read about in the books called One and Two Kings and Chronicles was King Ahaz. And King Ahaz did what was evil in the eyes of the Lord. And he chose that valley, that gorge just outside Jerusalem as the site for his shrine to the Ammonite god Molech. He had turned away from the true and living God and started to worship occult gods. Satan, basically. And in that place, he sacrificed his own sons to this god Molech. He burnt them alive as a sacrifice to this demon god. And King Manasseh did the same. This is a little quote from, can we have that little quote from two kings? Manasseh was another king. And it says, he did evil in the eyes of the Lord, following the detestable practices of the nations the Lord had driven out before the Israelites. He rebuilt the high places his father Hezekiah had destroyed. He also erected altars to Baal and made an Asherah pole as Ahab, king of Israel, had done. He bowed down to all the starry hosts and worshipped them. He built altars in the temple of the Lord, of which the Lord had said, in Jerusalem I will put my name in the two courts of the temple of the Lord, he built altars to the starry hosts. He sacrificed his own son in the fire, practiced divination, saw omens and consulted mediums and spiritists. He did much evil in the eyes of the Lord, arousing his anger. And the priests of Molech would use huge drums 
and would build themselves up into a frenzy of worship to Molech to drown out the cries of the children that were being sacrificed in the valley of Hinnom. So this beautiful valley just outside Jerusalem was turned into the foulest place in the whole of Israel. And years and years later, when the Jews returned from exile, no one would want to live in that place. So it became the municipal dump. And cartloads of waste were just tipped down into the place and offal and all the sort of detritus. And fires burnt there day and night while maggots devoured the rotting fresh. That's a great picture I'm showing you. And its stench was so great that Jews would prefer to travel the long way around Jerusalem to avoid the smell. There was nowhere as awful as Gehenna. And Jesus chooses the word Gehenna as his way of referring to hell. That's how we translate it. In Matthew 25, verse 41, hell is described as uh, the place prepared for the devil and all his demons. Into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and all his demons. It was a word that made people sit up and listen. Jesus chose this word to warn people that hell was real. Jesus had come to destroy all the works of the evil one. Jesus had come to rescue this world that was lost. That was separated from him. Through their sin and the temptations that the devil had laid. And the devil had said, I own this. And Jesus had come to rescue. Because he wants no one to perish. He wants everyone to be saved. And he will deal with all evil once and for all. And Jesus again and again talks about a day when there will be a separation. On that day of judgment when everyone will stand before him and he will call to himself those who have trusted in him. And he will deal once and for all with the devil and all his demons and all those who have rejected his love and grace and chosen not to accept his rescue. Jesus uses the name of the most horrific, shameful place in Israel to warn that this place is to be avoided as much as possible. Jesus talked about hell because he wanted us to grasp the great, great love that he has for us. Because unless we understand the horrors of Gehenna, we will never appreciate fully how much Jesus did for us to save us, to rescue us. 
that on the cross when Jesus died, he took all the world's sin upon himself. All those sacrifices that had been made in that valley and every evil that had been ever done upon himself. In fact, the Bible says that he became sin for us. Jesus, Jesus, the one who created heaven and earth, who was there at the very beginning with the Father and the Holy Spirit, who left his throne in heaven to become a human being and lives a perfect life as a human being and offers it on that altar of sacrifice, the cross, became sin for us so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Because those who are not with Jesus do not respond to the love of God, who actually refuse him and reject him, particularly the devil and all his demons, because they oppose everything that he does. And all that the evil that we see in our world is all rooted in what Satan does. He says there is a day coming where there'll be a new heaven and new earth but he makes sure that we understand that there is a choice to be made. Jesus actually steps into the valley to pull us out as he took our sin and judgment and our death for us. I often have discussions with people who find just the actual talk about hell really offensive. They're quite happy to believe in heaven and actually, you know, because heaven sounds lovely, and it is. But there are two destinations, ultimately. Wouldn't it be lovely if everyone and everything and everything went to heaven? No, it wouldn't. Because that would mean Satan's there, all his demons, and all evil would be let loose. It has to be dealt with. And that is the purpose of the existence of hell. To deal with it. The existence of hell doesn't make God less loving. In fact, it reveals the true depths of his love that he went to hell for us. What are we saved from? From eternity without God. What is eternity without God? Eternity without God is described as hell. Now you may have pictures of Dante's Inferno and all the, you know, the other things, but... It comes from this, when Jesus picks this valley, this awful place, to describe hell. And Jesus has come to plunder hell, to rescue and save. He doesn't want anyone to perish. No one ends up on the wrong side by a whoops or an accident. or a, It's a deliberate rejection of God's love and grace. What more can God do than come himself and die for us? 
So into that context of persecution, he says to his disciples, don't fear the one who can kill the body. Tonight, there will be Christians who will be killed because they believe in Jesus. They'll be tortured. They are not to fear the ones who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. What is the worst that they can do? What is the worst they can kill you? But you will live with Jesus. He says, rather fear the one who can destroy the body and the soul in Gehenna. Ooh, a little bit painful there. Fear God. If you want to hear a good talk about the fear of the Lord, listen to Simon Ponsonby. It's on the Holy Trinity website. He's got a message about the fear of the Lord. It's brilliant. But it's not fear as in, I'm afraid of God. This fear is that standing in awe of God, of his holy, righteous, almighty power. It's having a love for God that we would not want to do anything that would hurt him because of our love for him. Scriptures tell us that we'll all stand before Jesus one day. All of us. Even the committed atheist who says there is no God will stand before Jesus and say you don't exist. Which will be quite an interesting conversation. Stand before Jesus, the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. And all of us will have to give an account of our lives. But those who have accepted Christ will stand as those who know him. And there'll be lots of things that we will regret about our lives as we give account for everything we've done and said. but we will know who he is because he's our savior and we will know that we're loved by him because he died for us on the cross and we will know that all our sins are forgiven and we will know that we are welcome. And that's why he wants all to be saved. Because Jesus doesn't want to have anyone stand before him who he has to say, I'm sorry, I don't know who you are. Why didn't you call on my name? Why didn't you respond? And Jesus will make a new heaven and a new earth. And in that new heaven and new earth, there's no more evil or pain or sickness or mourning or death or destruction. 
And the other images Jesus uses of that, that heavenly place of a banquet, a wedding feast, a secure city filled with worship and godly activity. But he warns of the reality of a rejection, a deliberate rejection of the grace and the salvation that he offers. Where else would you find it? Are we going to stand before God in our own goodness and our own merit? It's not good enough. A place of darkness and exclusion from God's presence. There are things we do not understand. We know it's an eternal place, but we know, don't know whether it's eternal torment. I've actually talked with Christians who are almost definite. Yes, it's an eternal torment. And I almost you know, shrink back from them as if, is that what you would prefer? <laughs> it's not what we want for anybody. That's why we are desperate to share the gospel with people. But in this passage that Jesus talks about, he almost talks about utter destruction. And whether it is a loss of the image of God until we are no more, we, we don't know. But in that contrast, God says, the one who we'll give an account for and stand before is the God who cares for the sparrows that were two a penny. The God who knows the numbers of the hair on your head, and I know we always make a laugh of he knows the numbers of hairs on our head because he has to readjust it every day. And what Jesus is saying is God loves this world so passionately, so desperately that he came himself that the God Almighty whom we've worshipped, who created the billions of galaxies, stepped from his throne in heaven, became a human being, lived on this earth, died on the cross, rose from the dead to save this world, that none would perish but have eternal life. But for those who choose and that's what we always have to make clear. God doesn't send anyone to hell. Doesn't. People choose to go there. In defiance of the God who loves them and cares for them and died for them. So don't be afraid, Jesus says. Don't fear men. What's the worst they can do to you? But have that holy, reverent fear for God. This is an important message for unbelievers to hear. We don't, we don't kind of preach hell and damnation in this church. It's not what we do. We preach the love of Jesus. You know, you come on an Alpha course, we talk about Jesus for seven out of the eight weeks, and we talk about evil for one week. But if we forget 
that this has eternal consequences. What we're living for, the gospel that we carry in our hearts, has eternal consequences. Do you understand why Jesus said this to his disciples? He wasn't it preaching it on, on the hilltop to all, all the people who had gathered. He says this to his disciples because he wants them to go out and share his gospel with the world, to share the good news. And when we, which we don't often do, talk about hell, it is to waken our souls once again that if we don't tell someone about Jesus, who will? And the people that we love who are lost without Jesus, who will tell them if we don't tell them? It's awkward, isn't it? It's really awkward. How does that go down well? It does not go down well. I remember to this day the telephone call that my big brother Tim rang me up when he had just become a new believer. Henry rang me up from Brazil and said, Phil, you're going to hell unless you become a Christian. And I told him to stuff it. And I told him a bit more because I told him where to stuff it. It is not the best evangelistic tool. This is not used as an evangelistic tool. This is to tell the disciples, this is so important that you live for me, that you tell of me, because it has eternal consequences. That every person that we meet, there is an eternal consequence for. Now, it's not, you know, something to get all really heavy about, but it's to spur us on to as best we can. And there might come a moment when you have to talk to your mum or your dad or your brother or your sister or whoever or your friend about the choice that has to be made in this life before it's too late. And we share the love of Jesus. That's why he came. We share the grace of Jesus because we don't want anyone to stand before him and him say, depart from me. You didn't want to know me. You rejected that great offer. Whoever acknowledges me before others, I'll acknowledge before my Father in heaven. Whoever disowns me, Jesus says, I have no choice. If you disown me, I have to disown you. Because it's our choice. Jesus has done all he can. C.S. Lewis says that in the end, there are two types of people. The ones who say to God, yes, your will be done. And the ones that God has to say to them, okay, your will be done. Because they've made that choice. Oh, it's a bit heavy for a Sunday night, isn't it? Just before the footy. Shall we just pray?